0: This is Brian Paris for Inside Berkeley. In this episode, I have the great pleasure of talking with the Grammy winning composer, Craig Hella Johnson, who is also the founder and artistic director for the choral organization Conspirare. Johnson, a Berkeley online student, will be at Boston Symphony Hall with Conspirare on February 5th at 3 p.m. for a production of his original and deeply moving choral work, Considering Matthew Shepard. The Grammy nominated piece is an arresting and honest search for light in the story of Matthew Shepard the victim of a fatal hate crime that shook the nation in October 1998. Johnson, who lives in Texas, spoke with me over the phone regarding the upcoming performance and what drew him to such a powerful story. Craig, welcome to Inside Berkeley. Thank you so much, Brian. Great to be with you. Yeah, thank you for for taking the time for this. Um, And also, congratulations on the uh, recent Grammy nomination. That's really exciting. Thank you so much. Yeah, how does how does it feel? I mean, you you're already a Grammy winner, so it must be cool to also get a nod uh, for this project that you've been working on for so long.
1: It's very special. It's um, it, yeah, that sense of specialness never goes away. Uh, I think to have something recognized by colleagues uh, in that way is is very very special. And then of course, this is one that's very dear to my heart and all of our hearts, McQuinn's Prairie. So. Yeah, it's awesome. And I think one of the things that means so much, too, with any acknowledgement of this CD or this piece is that it's really uh, another tool to help us, um, you know, get the story of, of Matthew Shepard out in the world more. Um, there are a whole generation of people who don't remember who Matthew Shepard uh, was, and and there's so much power In the story, and I find my intention with this piece was to really be able to certainly remember Matt, and for for a new generation of people to remember him and his life, and and uh, but to very much invite people to let this story be a catalyst for their own consideration of um, the human family and how we can come together and remember who we are as a greater human community and not uh, not be in this place of forgetting and, and mistreating one. Another.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, I love that. And I, yeah, I hadn't thought of that idea of, of looking towards the future and kind of and putting in something in place like a, a, a tool of remembrance in that sense. Um, I had thought because I'd read a quote from you in, in a, uh, an interview that um, you had said one of the questions for you personally um, in exploring and creating this work is a need to go into the suffering and to look into it and not to look away, to see it, to experience it. Um, and so that, that makes me wonder, how how did you come to this project in, in sort of a, Gen- a Genesis way? And yeah. and how, you know, could you maybe say a little more on, on what led you to realizing that Matthew's story was not something that you couldn't look away from?
1: Absolutely. Well, and maybe just uh, in the case there might be someone listening who doesn't, Uh, remember who Matthew Chisbert was. I might mention briefly he was a young uh, 21 year old gay man living in Wyoming and attending school at the University of Wyoming uh, in 1998 and this is October 1998. Um, He was taken by two men from a bar um, uh, under false pretenses uh, and and brought out into the country and brutally beaten. and then tied to a fence and was left there uh, for 18 hours. He was alone and then died some five days later. And then that story became, of course, internationally known. Uh, It it pierced hearts all over the world. But for me, what happened was I just kept feeling this kind of knocking at the door of my heart, just like, you got to respond some way to this. There was Mm -hmm. some part of my own life journey that really connected with this deeply and the pain of it. And, um, and so, I mean, it was months and then years, and I just, I never did anything to respond to the idea that someday I would. It was something I really felt called to do, and uh, there was, it wouldn't let me go, kind of, you're, you're going to do this, uh, or you're going to be haunted by it.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and that, and that makes me wonder. I mean, it's been almost 20 years um, since since Matthew's passing, and um, and like you said, it, this is something that stuck with you, and and like you said, it in a way was haunting you. Um, but is it, was there something that prompted that? Why why is this the right time to bring the story into this particular art form? You know, this this sort of collage choral work uh, that you you've become known for and uh, celebrated for.
1: Well, it's interesting because it's you know, I probably didn't ask that question with great concern about whether it was the right time in the culture. I just I knew this is something I had to do for myself. Mm. And I didn't know if anyone else, you know, outside of an Austin audience initially would ever even hear it. So this was this was a personal journey and I had to express this. And so I did that and then we've been discovering certainly we started in the workshop to say, Wow, people really do connect with this. Um, remembering Matt in these musical ways and um And the piece that I completed in its final form really isn't just sort of a retelling of what happened to Maggie Shepard, but it is very much more an extension, like, where do we go from there? When we encounter hate in our world, when we encounter that level of sort of violence, whether physically or violence of the spirit, you know, um, what do we do with that? And so, unfortunately, I mean, I have to, you know, report something that's not... uh, that's obvious to all of us, but that the relevancy of that has not gone away. Um, and so when we have performed this for various audiences, we um, I, I have found that there's an incredible uh, sense of, of relevance right now um, because, you know, for example, just for one example, I mean, hate crimes happen to be spiking again right now, and it seems like there's a culture that's allowing sort of the, the rising of, of hate crimes again. And so, you know, whereas we've made a lot of progress um, in this country, um, this is still an issue that's really front and center for us as as a human family. Um, yeah, and and I think this larger question of For me, Brian, I I would say the operating question for me throughout this process was, in our own journeys, when we face confounding realities that seem dark and and so difficult to face, somewhere in the midst of these is love still to be found at the core of this. And kind of not simple love, not easy love, but sort of the the essence, the flame of love. Is there Mm -hmm. anything at the base, or are we just left to be Despairing, and this was my operating functional question. And so the piece for me was was really about journeying into that. Um, and what I hope that we can offer with this performances and this piece is is an invitation for someone to contemplate that themselves. So certainly we uh, we we tell aspects of Matt's story in this piece for sure, um, but then it really becomes. An invitation to the listener. I, I think of it. I've described it sometimes as like a singing meditation, almost, well, and to, to try and face this question as as a an audience, as a, as an individual. So, so I think it's it's there's still a real potency to it. I'm I'm finding. And
0: that's great. I, w- I want to come back to that idea of, of an invitation to the listener too. And uh, but first, let's hear a clip uh, from the prologue of Considering Matthew Shepard, just to get a sense of some of the sound. Well, I'd like to hear a little bit about your process in in actually creating this piece, and you know, despite the the kind of utter tragedy of losing and how we lost Matt. um, this show does deal a lot, like you said, with finding common ground and inviting the listener in. Was it a challenge uh, to keep that light shining throughout the creation process? Was this something that, you know, you would have to, you know, continually remind yourself, or you know, and and thinking about that, watching some videos of the performance, there's a a very clear sense of joy, even in just in your own facial expressions as you're conducting uh, the choral the coral group. This is not a somber. Uh, experience, you know, just from watching it. There's, there's such a joy there. So I just wondered uh, throughout your process, um, was that a challenge to keep that at the forefront or was it something that you knew would always be there?
1: Oh, gosh. Yeah, it was really hard. I mean, it's, it was sad, uh, very deeply sad to day after day um, be living with the sad details of, of this uh, story. Very much. I mean, and there were many days that were just really hard to, to work through that. I mean, I don't know if I didn't even try and dismiss it because it was just so present. Also, you know, I mean, there was a lot of anger. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, there's so much anger for me to...
0: And I, I haven't
1: lost that anger. I mean, it hasn't gone away. And so when we talk about light shining, I mean, that's really individual for people. You know, that's like for me, it wasn't necessarily like about me saying, I want to bring hope here, because I, I think that would feel false. You know, the, the mm-hmm. name of the piece kind of says it all for me. We called it Considering Matthew Shepard. I want people to consider this story, and I want them to consider my question, operating question. I didn't necessarily uh, to say, here's the answer, because I don't know that, that the answer is anything I can tell someone else. It's truly about someone's own discovery. In that. And it's interesting about the joy, and we've heard that a lot too, because it's, it's, it was true. I mean, it's, and of course, you know, it depends on what movement you might see. It's, um, there's a whole lot of it that I wouldn't call it any kind of joyful place, but it felt really liberating to be asking the questions. It's very basic, what's the meaning of our lives kind of stuff, you know, when all this terrible stuff happens. Again and again and again, and now we know more of it, you know, with the Internet connect- connecting us all world, world- worldwide. Um, but there was a true joy that came in 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 the process of first asking this with other people so we weren't alone in it. And then also in the journey to say that when we meet this, honestly, it's sort of like trying to meet death or face questions of death in a very death phobic culture that when we have a willingness to do that some larger space in my experience gets created and it doesn't feel like any sort of false surface happiness but there's a real depth of joy that comes in this inquiry not because we'd figured it all out or because we we now understand the mystery not at all i mean it's it's not an easy, but I do feel like the joy that you made would have felt like it was a hard-fought, hard-won joy in a way, Cause, because the process of going through this itself was often very painful. And, um, and I kept thinking, why did I, you know, sign myself up for this task? Hmm. Um, and I, I asked difficult questions. I mean, uh, there's a movement in here that's specifically about the perpetrators, Aaron and Russell. Mm-hmm. And I felt I had to ask that question. I asked the question, am I like you in any way? You know, um, if we talk, you know, we sing about all these things, even in our songs. Like, I was just thinking, I was at a carol sing the other day, let there be peace on earth and let it begin. You know, we can sing mm-hmm. all those those nice words. But what is it to really inhabit that and... You know, really put the question back to myself. What does it mean to say, let it begin with me? What are those interior places that I need to be willing to look at? So that the healing of this world, really, I take responsibility for that myself to start with it. And that's, you know, but but there were difficult questions to ask because a lot of people don't want to hear about the perpetrators. don't want to even have a thought of a question of, do I, have any, do I bear any resemblance to, to their heart, their human heart, too? I was doing that all the while I was feeling consistently very angry, you know, uh, and, and uh, for, for my whole life, I'm sure I will carry anger uh, uh, about what they did. And at the same time, uh, I'm a human brother and I need to ask these questions of myself.
0: Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a remarkable challenge. And And, you know, if I can speak just professionally for a second, I mean it seems like you have had you taken on this process maybe early in your career or something it would have been harder but you've you know you've got countless awards um your style and, and choral work has you know I've, I've heard it described as sort of a, a collage style that kind of busts out of genre lines um and also you know 23 seasons with uh, the community you've convened in conspirare um and you also hold a phd and so if i may ask the berkeley question um, what drew you to take classes through berkeley online at, at this point of your career and uh, and maybe just speak a little bit about some of your experience
1: <laughs> sure yeah i don't know just the pure fun and joy of learning and you know the schedule of course for for so many of us it's just very demanding there's lots going on and uh, but uh, but i'm i so want to keep learning and you know I, I would say too i mean i've thought of myself as a conductor, as a pianist, as a coach, as a, an arranger and a you know, I mean, but I I don't know if the composer hat was not one that I was necessarily wearing all that. I would compose a lot of music but I never sort of put that label on myself hmm. because it was just always something I did functionally and, and um and I, I've studied great composers my entire life as a conductor so I feel like that's amazing training. But I never trained as, as, as a composer. Um, yeah, uh, I'm sorry. I said composer. That's what I meant. And um, but so I just thought, well, this is a great opportunity. So I mean, I took some a couple songwriting classes, which I loved. Mm. Uh, lyric, one or two lyric writing classes, a business of music class. These were things I could do all at home. You know, where late at night, if I get home at 11:30, I can uh, do it then. If I got an hour and sometime in the morning, and so I just had a blast. And it's really fun to kind of just do it anonymously, too. You know, just hmm. have some classmates, and and uh, nobody knows what you're doing or who you are. You're just a, a single name. And
0: right.
1: I love that. So I, I had a blast, and I, <laughs> all the teachers were great. I mean, I'm, uh, I could I could sing an ad for you. I had such a great time with it, <laughs> online. And That's I'm going to do some more, I'm sure, down the road, but I, I have just loved it.
0: That's great. Well, I mean, your career seems like a pretty good ad for it too, and just the stuff you've been up to. it speaks pretty powerfully for it. so <laughs> it's nice thank you yeah. so I mean, what I've been struck with, I think the most um about, and i have I haven't you know had a chance to see the show, obviously yet. um but just in in reading about it, watching videos about it, reading re- uh, interviews, that the art it seems is really the power of this that it's not like you said, it's not like a retelling of the story. and I happen to come across a quote. Um, somewhat randomly in just another reading by the uh, British philosopher Alain de Botton. And he was speaking about the kind of role of art uh, in culture and its, and its power and, and why we need it. And I just thought, um, you know, as we start to wrap up some of these thoughts, I wanted to read this quote and then finish with a question. So he says, The great works of culture were almost invariably created to redeem, console, and save the souls of their audiences. They were made in one way or another with the idea of changing lives. It is a particular quirk of modern aesthetics to sideline or ignore this powerful underlying ambition. So for me, as I think about, you know, you considering, I mean, literally, you know, that's a, a obviously a very relevant word um, for this conversation, but considering the subject matter, so what do you say to those that may be worried to engage so directly with this story? And to kind of bring it back to where we started, so what is the value of art that pushes us to, as you've said, not look away?
1: Yeah. Well, first of all, just thank you for sharing that very beautiful quote. Uh, very inspiring and beautiful. Um, yeah, you know, I, I, I don't know um, always what. I would just, I would respect, you know, the fact that some people may have some fears about that. I really get it. I think sometimes uh, it's just that. I mean, I, I really empathize with that fear to face this, and maybe. S- there might be someone who feels like, wow, this is very difficult to do in a public forum, or maybe it's just difficult to do it at all. I get that because I'm really trying to just be honest with this, like let's face this and let's, let's consider it. Um, and I think that it's overwhelmingly difficult at certain times in our lives. And so, and I respect that actually, you know, wherever people are with that, but I I love the force of that quotation you shared. And For me, this was, this was the medium, you know, I'm a musician, so this is kind of how I express and takes a lot of, I think, a leap of courage often, like for me in this case, to try and create a really large tent, you know, like, Hmm. I didn't want, I didn't need to do this as kind of a crossover experience just for myself or because I think that's cool. I really was very intentional that this includes some some jazz, this includes things that sound like Gregorian chant and some choral polyphony and something that sounds like an indie pop song. Um, I mean, etc. And there's a gospel kind of anthem at the end. And I do this with great intention to say, we've got to break these barriers down. I mean, we have got to stop experiencing ourselves as separate, whether that's from a separate you know, national boundary or ethnic boundary, gender, sexual orientation, wealth, you know, uh, class, status, um, uh, physical handicaps, all the ways we separate ourselves, successful or failing, that um, stop seeing one another um, as these separate beings. As diverse as we are, can we come to remember that which we share in common, you know, our common essence as human beings and as living beings. So I think this was kind of my goal, and and I I like to think of it still in that kind of gentle way as an invitation. You know, people can come close to this work and experience it, and um, I hope they can enter into the world of it just so we get their contemplation under the tent as well. Um, Yeah
0: yeah i love i love that image of the tent and and i mean it, it speaks volumes to again the community of artists that you've convened but also the show that you've convened that'll you know just just mm-hmm. keep getting bigger and bigger and inviting more and more people and so uh, i think that's a really powerful way to go out and uh, on those words and on that idea of invitation and uh you know all i wish you all the best for the coming show and i look forward to it
1: thank you so much for I can't wait to be up there, and I hope I get to meet you.
0: Yeah, that would be great. Thank you so much, and thanks again for for taking the time to talk with us. Oh, it's a pleasure. Great, thanks. The show, Considering Matthew Shepard, will run on Sunday, February 5th at 3 p.m. at Symphony Hall in Boston. Making the event all the more powerful, Matthew's parents, Judy and Dennis Shepard, will be in attendance. Ticket information is available on our website at berkeley.edu slash events slash considering dash Matthew dash This episode was engineered by Diami Wilson in partnership with The Burn. I'm Brian Paris, and this is Inside Berkeley.